Welcome to Life of the School, Episode 5. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Acton-Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. In the Life of the School podcast, I interview a fellow life science teacher from somewhere around the country, and I ask them how they got into the classroom, what they're currently working on, and what do they hope to achieve in the future. In this episode, I sit down with Michelle Wachowski. Michelle is a biology teacher at Edison High School in Edison, New Jersey. At her school, she was a recipient of a $5,000 grant from BASF to purchase microscopes for Edison High School. This summer, Michelle participated in Teaching the Genome Generation, a platform for individual teachers and schools to enhance their genetics instruction through a partnership with Jack's Genomic Education and the Jackson Laboratories. During the 2015-2016 school year, Michelle was a participant in the American Association of Immunologists Summer Research Program for Teachers. Her AAI work has led to her being a co-author on a paper with Dr. Denzen, which is currently under review. During the 2014-2015 school year, Michelle was an NSTA New Science Teacher Academy Fellow. In March of 2012, Michelle was presented with the AFCEA STEM Teacher Scholarship. Michelle earned her Master's of Arts in Teaching in Biology and her Bachelor's of Science in Biology with a minor in Chemistry, both from Stony Brook University. She is currently pursuing a second Master's degree in MA in Biology through Miami University's Advanced Inquiry Program. Welcome, Michelle. Hello. <laughs> Hello. So, this is one of those great things about uh, starting a uh, starting a new hobby. I have I find out how good my friends are because this is now uh, take two on this uh, recording. <laughs> so, so uh, thank you for being such a good sport uh, and doing this. Uh, Michelle and I had gotten pretty much like eighty to ninety percent of the way through this when I realized you know my audio had totally quit on me. Um, and I didn't get that. Um, I've actually heard from other people who run podcasts that that just happens. Sometimes your something happens with your audio and you you don't notice it. I, I guess the good news is I caught it while we were recording, as opposed to friends of mine who have told me, no, I realized afterwards I just didn't have any audio, and I had done this whole interview thing. So, thank you for joining me again, <laughs> Michelle. No problem. <laughs> um, so getting you on this, this has been an adventure getting you lined up because uh, you've had quite a busy summer. You know, I read in the introductions what you've been doing, and that was only part of it. Um, and hopefully we'll get into all of that, all of your uh, busyness during the summer. Um, but I'm going to start uh, with my first question I like to ask. Uh, how did you become a science teacher? What led you into the classroom? So um, teaching is my first career, my only career, um, but when I was growing up, I had all these ideas of things that I want to be. So fifth grade was veterinarian, and then middle school to like mid-high school, marine biologist, and then I went into college pre-med because I wanted to do pediatric dentistry, and um, the teaching track was always something that was kind of on the back burner I could see myself doing because I really like working with kids. I was a camp counselor, babysitter, all that good stuff. Um, and I, it just kind of fell into place. I met um, someone in the program that I went into as my lab TA my sophomore year, and he got to talking about the program that he was in. He scheduled a little meeting between me and the, um, the director of the program, and kind of after that, I was, like, hooked. Um, the program was really, really good for me, I think, and uh, it was a BSMAT program, so I got to get my... Um, BS in bio and my master's all in five years. So I graduated with both degrees. Well, that's a that's great, and that's at Stony Brook, which has a tremendous reputation for both education and science communication. So um, I imagine that it was a, a place where there was a lot of um, a lot of great resources for science um, and science communication. Um, I, I'm I'm curious about. Uh, how easy of a transition was that? Was there a lot of overlap between the program that you started pre-med into that, that program? Um, the great thing about the way Stony Brook works is all of the classes that I took freshman and sophomore year were introductory classes, so I hadn't really started my upper division courses yet, and so it was a very easy transition because as um, a person in the teacher tract, they asked you to take 
one class in every content area. So I hadn't like made a focus in terms of my degree, like whether it was evolution or ecology, I was very broad scale. And so um, I just continued to do that so I could get that teaching certificate at the end. That's great. Um, yeah, I think the background of, of having that solid science background is pretty crucial as we as we work in the classroom, uh, particularly with how much biology changes, having that science mm-hmm. foundation is, is hugely important. Um, so uh, one of the things, you know, I talked to you about uh, last time is that, you know, you've been teaching, you're now sort of getting into this transition period. Um, in my mind, when I went through my teaching career, I felt like I sort of went through, you know, the first year, which was, you know, really, really, really challenging. And then I had sort of subtle changes. And then, you know, years three, four, and five were this marked change where, where things really started to, to change for me as a teacher. Uh, what are sort of the biggest changes that you're noticing? You're going into, we said this, you're going to year five now? Is this? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're going to year five. So what are the biggest changes for you as you get ready uh, to start the school year as opposed to, say, year one or year two? Um, I guess I'm just excited to um, try some new like lessons out because uh, now that I'm in my fifth year, I've been using a lot of the same um, activities, of course, modifying when things didn't work or um, if I found an activity that my students preferred over one that I was using, I would switch it out. But um, I've done a lot of professional development over the last couple summers, and so I have a, a, a bulk of lessons to try out, um, and I'm really excited to kind of do that. And I'll be tenured this year, so that's kind of exciting, but um, I don't really see it as too much of a change. It's kind of like when you turn 19, it's not really a big deal. 18 was like, <laughs> wow, um, but uh, it's just another year te- teaching to me. So, Yeah, it's. I think that, that sort of puts in a little bit of the perspective of, uh, you know, age differences. I don't remember uh, the difference between 18 and 19 at all, um, so... <laughs> <laughs> quite quite a long time ago uh, for some of us. Uh, <laughs> so um, I also imagine that it, you know now that you've been in a school for several years that the sort of the place that you're in, uh, the the environment, the community, sort of your place in that school um, has changed quite a bit. So you're at your second school, is that correct? Actually, um, so I did my student teaching in New York because that's where I had my teaching certificate, but this is my first job. So I've been oh. here since I officially started teaching. But your, your background, uh, the school that you did your student teaching, is that, was it similar or different than where you're teaching now? Um, where I'm teaching now, I think the crowd's a little bit um, sassier, <laughs> definitely more challenging. The, uh, the kids I did my student teaching with were more um, upper middle class uh, very well behaved. Their parents were very um, on top of them getting their education. And in my area, um, it's a little bit more difficult to get parental support sometimes. But um, I like the kids a lot because I think that um, their challenges have brought out the best in me in terms of teaching. And and I feel like I've become a better teacher because of them. It's, it is one of those things I was talking to uh, a teacher who teaches uh just outside of Boston this summer, um, somebody who has been teaching similar years. And um, I actually had taught my um, my third and fourth year teaching. I had taught like one town over. And, um, you know, we were sort of discussing the differences between teaching in an environment where, you know, they sort of throw you in and don't necessarily uh, get a lot of pushback from home um, and particularly when you're a young teacher, you have to figure a lot of things out. And we were sort of joking about the differences and how really when you're in you know, schools where everyone's really engaged, it's a different type of pressure. You really have to know your stuff and you know, the parents really hold you accountable. But the day to day, what goes on in the classroom is so much easier to manage. Um, yeah. And if you can do two or three years in a in a school that's sometimes considered a little bit rougher, you you develop all of these teaching skills and you really become a much stronger teacher. Um, I know that when I uh, when I did my uh, final interview for the place I am now and I went back and I remember asking this kid what it was like when I wasn't there. And he said, oh, there it was awesome. There were three adults to keep us in line. Um, wow. <laughs> um, and that was, you know, there were 16 kids in that class the day <laughs> the day I was out. Uh, and they but. You know, and they weren't they weren't bad kids. They just were, you know, 
when I was there, we, we ran and we taught and we did what we did and, and we had a, a rapport. And when I wasn't there, it, in all fairness, they put a sub in there who should have never <laughs> been given that group. And that's why. So, and you, as you can imagine, sometimes you've got groups and it's like, yeah, no, just don't have a sub for this group. They, <laughs> I agree. I <Yeah>. totally agree. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when I, I said, yeah, at, in, uh, in acting where I teach now, you know, they gave me, you know, one of the, the rougher groups that my department had told me. And I said, yeah, it was rough. Only six kids said, thank you on their way out the door, uh, today. <laughs> you know, they were just, <laughs> it was, it was a different world. So I can, t- I totally agree with you about developing those skills when you work in different schools. Uh, so I had mentioned before that you've had this extremely busy summer. Um, and, uh, and I also mentioned earlier in the introduction that you're working on your second master's degree. So um, I know those two things are related. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about this AIP program that you're working on? So the AIP stands for Advanced Inquiry Program, and it's one of the two versions um, of a, a master's program university um, project dragonfly and then if it's the aip program there are master institutions uh, zoos and aquariums across the country that um, partner with them to give that degree Um, so as an aip student um, i have a master's institution so i do a lot of the coursework online it's really convenient because um, it's intended to be done part-time so it's intended for teachers or people that are already working Um, But then I have some in-person courses that I have a a cohort of people. So it's nice to have a home base. And my home base is the Bronx Zoo, so you can't really complain about that. Mm -hmm. Um, This program, I learned about it actually when I was doing another professional development workshop um, at the San Diego Zoo. There were some people that were teaching the workshop that were actually current students in that program. And after the workshop was over, they were saying how they were going to Australia and Africa um, to get their education. And so I was like, please tell me more. So that spring, I applied for the program. Um, So this summer, I actually did something similar to to why I wanted to be in the program in the first place. It's called an Earth Expedition. And um, these programs are open to a, a lot of people. If you go on their website, it's not just for my degree, there are other opportunities to earn credits um, just on their own. But um, because they've partnered with uh, Miami University, I can earn seven credits towards my master's degree um, by going somewhere. So this summer I was actually in Hawaii um, (laughs) getting my education, which was so amazing. It was very funny because I was actually heading down to New Jersey and so I'm like, oh, my family, we're going to a school vacation. You know, we do our vacation. We head down to the Jersey Shore um, mm-hmm. every year. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to contact Michelle. Maybe I'll throw my, my recording stuff in and I sent you a message. And then you're like, yeah, no, I'm in Hawaii, um, in a remote place in Hawaii. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this idea of, you know, uh, you know, meeting up either, you know, in northern Jersey, near my my in laws, or or maybe some da- some place down in New Jersey. Uh, I know I I end up starting north of you and then go way 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 south of you um, when I uh, when I'm on vacation. But uh, yeah, you're in Hawaii, nowhere near. So you you go out to Hawaii and and you know aside from you know lounging on the beach, which I know you weren't doing. Uh, what kind of things did <laughs> what kind of things did you uh, were you focused? Was this a very ecology focused um, uh, intensive? time 10 days out there so it depends on um what program you do so the the focus of hawaii or the the main question that is asked while you're there is what does it take to save a species so um as part of this program the reason that they incorporate earth expeditions into earning the degree it's very focused in building leaders in conservation um so we have a lot of courses that focus on um, building environmental stewardship skills, leadership skills, um, scientific inquiry skills. And so while we were in Hawaii, we met with a lot of different conservation organizations and we got to learn a little bit about what they do. Um, Sometimes we helped them um, with a service project. So we planted many, many, many plants, um, hundreds of plants while we were there. Uh, some of the species were endangered, so that was kind of cool to be able to to work with those species and um, help repopulate native forests over there. Um, we learned about the reintroduction of the Hawaiian crow. So in Hawaii, it's extinct in the wild, um, and they are doing captive breeding programs 
at um, a bird conservation center. So we got to go there, see the birds, learn about what they're doing. And they're actually going to be um, starting reintroduction this fall, crossing my fingers because they keep putting it off. Um, but they're running out of space to house the birds that they have. So hopefully they'll be putting them back into the wild to, to test that out. Um, so no lounging on the beach, but um, I'm a lifelong learner. So I got to do a lot of learning while I was there, not just about ecology um, and the species, but also about the Hawaiian culture, which really inspired me, the way that they um, have a relationship with the land and they want to respect it. We um, did something called an oli when we went into different places. So basically, it's like a chant, and we're asking for permission to come into a place um, and we kind of wait for the land to respond to us. Sometimes there were people there that would do a response chant, um, but sometimes we would just kind of stand there. It's really cool. You could like feel uh, a breeze start up after you finish the Oli and it just, you could feel that connection with the land. So it, it tied it back into the, the culture and the way that they incorporate that into conservation. Wow. And you did get to do a little bit of uh, a little bit of snorkeling, a little bit of swimming or... Yes, we did do a little snorkeling one day um, in the tide pools, which it's kind of funny because you go out there and when you think of Hawaii, you think beautiful beaches and on the main island, most of the time it's lava rock. So it's just black rock mm -hmm. and there were little like holes that had water in it. And we go out there, it's like, what is this? And you get inside and there's all these beautiful corals and fish. So that was super cool. And then the, uh, the last day, we got to snorkel right off the, the shore, and I ran into two sea turtles, which was so amazing because <laughs> I was not expecting that. Yeah. I, I, I know from the, the snorkeling examples of, of having done that down in the, the Caribbean that it, it is quite amazing what you what you run into. I didn't get to I didn't get anything as exciting as uh, as giant sea turtles. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it is. It can be an amazing experience. A lot of unexpected uh, things. So I, I'm curious about how, you know, you've got this um, much more, uh, you know, much more urban setting than the, tr uh, the tropical rainforests uh, when you mm -hmm. go back and you teach during the school year. Um, you know, how you're going to uh, translate some of these experiences back to your students. Like, what, what are some of the messages you're going to be able to take back into the classroom as you work with your kids on, on ecology topics? Um, so one of the things that we did while we were there, in addition to doing a lot of field work, we had to um, present in groups on one of four different topics. So we did a little bit of reading up beforehand. And then while we were there, um, we presented a topic to the rest of our classmates. And the group that presented about um, restoration ecology asked us to get into small groups and um create our own Oli, so in English, which was good. Um, but we were asked to think of a place that was really important to us um, that maybe needed a little bit of love and then um, use that as inspiration to write this poem or this Oli to kind of embody that. And so my group conveniently all thought of a place that we um, used to go to or we still go to that's by the water. So our little Oli was about this place by the water. You know, don't don't think that we've forgotten you. Um, and we want to show you that we care by involving others to come and help you and make you beautiful again. So having my students maybe think of a place that's important to them and I think that would be really cool to see what they come up with because I'm sure, as you know, um, when you ask students to give you some type of work, you have one thing in mind and then they surprise you with something like totally unexpected. Um, and usually it's, it's a good surprise. So I'm looking forward to trying that out. Um, and then my uh, coworker secured a grant for a greenhouse. Um, so hopefully we'll be getting that up and running pretty soon. Um, it still has to be built, unfortunately, but um, eventually we're going to have to start planting stuff around to have like garden areas and things. And so one of the things that we did while we were planting in Hawaii, they asked us to um, say a little phrase that basically um, means like, I live because you live or we live because you live. So we put the plant in, we said that little Hawaiian phrase and that was supposed to be like us showing our love to the plant to help it grow so just like little tiny things like that maybe not at first you don't see the difference but I've really felt that connection so I'm hoping to impress that upon the kids when we get to planting 
Yeah, and there's a lot of really cool, um, you know, sort of um, urban ecology that you can do. Um, I know you'd mentioned that you might use this uh, to maybe make some connections to monarchs uh, as mm -hmm. well, uh, which I think could have a quite an impressive impact on, on your kids. Um, by you know, you had mentioned maybe seeding some some milkweed and seeing how you can make some connections there, um, and some of the citizen science projects you might be able to build out of that as well. Yeah. I'd really like to get them involved in there's so many different citizen science projects that they have for monarchs because um, it's a flagship species and one of the only insect flagship species. So um, everybody, when you show people a picture of a, a butterfly, even if they don't know the name of it, they're like, yes, I know what that is. I've seen that before. Um, so I would really like to get them involved in citizen science, not just because, you know, working with butterflies and caterpillars is cool at least i think so but um to build those skills for data collection um and also contributing that data to a real established program i think that would have a big impact on them yeah i've never done the the monarch any of the monarch things uh but i did do um i did project feeder watch um from mm -hmm. cornell with my with my alternative program a few years ago and um it was really interesting. It's a it's a class that moves at sort of a different pace, and I had no idea. Going back to what you said, you don't really know, you know, how the kids are going to react to this. Uh, but right. basically, I set, you know, uh, we had at the time our classroom has since moved, so it'd be difficult to do in the same way where we are. But uh, I basically had a feeder just outside the window of our classroom, and we would take these two 20 minute breaks in the middle of the week, and just sit there and watch the feeders and count the birds that would come during that time. And um, it was really interesting what the kids got out of it. Some of the kids were got super involved. Some were like, mm -hmm. well, it's 20 minutes of quiet time. Um, but then the interesting thing was all of the all of the connections I started to see and the curriculum builds that you could build off of that. So, you know, when you get into the types of relationships that you have with uh, milkweed and monarch, are you going to be able to make all sorts of evolutionary relationships and ecological relationships and all sorts of other things? Um, I did a whole thing on Darwin and Darwin's finches that had such a different feel that year that we had done the mm -hmm. feeder watch because the kids were like so familiar with birds, uh, way more familiar than any group of kids I'd ever had with birds. My kids totally could relate. Um, so I was able to do some really interesting um, evolution stuff building off of that. Cool. So, so yeah, I, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fan of, of, of citizen science, wherever you can get it in. Um, so, you know, we've touched upon several different topics, you know, all of this ecology that you've worked on. Uh, we spent, we got to know each other uh, through immunology and you spent mm -hmm. a lot of time volunteering in immunology lab well after uh, your uh, AI uh, time was supposed to be over, uh, which yep. I, I was equally guilty of um, <laughs> to, the, <laughs> to, the, to the point where like I was, I was in there last winter uh <laughs> <laughs> still working on stuff and uh, honestly I've been emailing them this summer because I've been working on something else and I had a couple other questions about some fruit flies uh and and doing some follow-up stuff so yeah maybe I'm the wrong person to ask because you kept on saying are you still going into lab and I was like yeah kind of <laughs> uh so you have this immunology background you've got uh the ecology you've done this genetic stuff over the summer uh so do you have a favorite topic to teach when you'd get through the year or do you just like love everything um, I mean, coworkers and, and friends of mine that know me, they know I love science, like to the point of nerdiness. So, um, teaching biology, I just like teaching the subject in general, but, um, there are, when we get to different topics during the year, there are favorite activities that I have, um, for some of those topics. So I had mentioned doing, um, a lab with Jello when, when we teach biochemistry, which, um, when you talk st structural components of biochemicals, not so exciting. But um, when you get to play with Jello and then eat it later, the kids get way more interested in it. So um, we do a lab where you pick different fruits and you put them in little cups of Jello. You put them in the fridge overnight, and then they know that um, the Jello is supposed to solidify overnight when they put it in the fridge and they get their cups back and there are some fruits like pineapple and kiwi they have an enzyme in them that um, breaks down the gelatin matrix and so the jello does not become jello the way they think it will um, and they're surprised 
Uh, and my favorite part of that lab is actually the part two, where I tell them that I wanted to do the lab at home also so I could participate, but I didn't bring any of the fruit home. I left it in the fridge at school, so I just used canned pineapple. I turn my cup over, nothing falls out because the jello is, has solidified. And they're like, why? So we get to have that discussion. Um, and it really gets them thinking about like what happens to the pineapple when it's canned versus when you just get it fresh at the store. So the fact that you have to cook it in order to can um, the fruit, it breaks down that enzyme and so it can't do its job anymore. So uh, I really like that activity. And um, you mentioned Beaks of Finches. So that's always one of my favorite labs uh, because I, I make sure that it really is like a heightened competition. Of course, I have to wear their goggles. I remember one year, uh, they were doing little practice trials, and they were, of course, wearing their goggles because I was very adamant about it. And one girl picked up a seed, and it slipped out of her tool and, like, hit her right in the goggle in the eye. And so I use that as a, my example every year. Like, that's why you have to wear your goggles because the seeds are dangerous. So I always enjoy those kind of activities where they, they get up and they get moving and also the ones that really get them thinking outside the box. So is that one of those ones where you give the kids sort of different types of tools, different forceps and stuff like that, um, and they and they try to pick up different types of seeds? Yeah, so they they use them as their beaks, um, even though it's it's supposed to be an allergy. Actually, my first year, I thought I had explained this clearly that it was a you know, mimicking the beak. It's not actually a beak. And I had a student put a binder clip <laughs> in his mouth and try to use it as a beak. <laughs> and I had to like take a step back and say, what happened? <laughs> because you're like 16 years old and you, you put that in your mouth. So I just told him to go wash it with soap really, really good. <laughs> and I kind of shook it off. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, I've done that lab with, um, I, I did it with different types of, uh, instruments. So I gave him forceps and I gave him, um, these like little lab spoons and we use different types of containers. So I would mm -hmm. use, um, I would use uh, beakers and I would use graduated cylinders. And mm -hmm. what would happen is the kids with the, the beaker, um, the p kids who did the spoons were so much faster at getting, you know, one seat at a time out of the beaker. But when they went right. to the graduated cylinder, obviously the, the spoon couldn't fit into the graduated cylinder. So the kids who had the forceps did it until I had this one kid who realized, wait a minute, the handle of the spoon is like really skinny. So he turned, he'd flipped it over and was putting the handle of the spoon down in it and flicking one seat out at a time and could get all, wow. he got all the seeds out. And I was like, wow. I was like, all right, kids. They they've outsmarted my model, um, uh, but yeah, that was that was one of the, very inventive. I was like, well, you know, you would get to have sex um, in the wild, so uh, <laughs> so uh, you know that's the fittest the fittest of uh, the fittest use of that beak. Uh, so <laughs> so um, yeah, I'll have to I I put a I'll put a link to uh, the pineapple enzyme lab at least one I have and maybe a a copy of a beaks of finch maybe if you want to send me some of your versions I can I can post those up into my show notes. Um, so um, when you are not teaching, you have no time because you know you volunteer in lab <laughs> and you're getting your second masters and uh, you you are like a nonstop. As I said, I said to you yesterday, I. I am a pretty busy person. Most people talk to me and they're like, you never sit down, you never stop moving. And I look at what you do and it's just, it's just amazing. Um, you, you, you make me look like I just, you know, lays about all day. Um, so, so when you are not teaching and you do have, you know, 10 minutes of spare time, what, what do you like to do? Um, well, I am a very crafty and creative person. So I mentioned this yesterday, I'm also the yearbook advisor at the high school, which uh, it's a big, big job, but um, I like it, one, because I get to be creative in terms of design, but also it really has got me out into the school community, um, and I, I've met a lot of teachers and students um, in a way that I probably wouldn't have before because our building is very large and the science wing is in one little spot, and so when you have classes back-to-back, -back, especially on lab days when you have extra classes every day, um, it, it kind of gets to the point where you just want to stay there and take a break. Um, but I, I've met a lot of people and I've spread my wings a little bit, um, because of that. So I, I appreciate 
being the yearbook advisor as much work as it is. Um, but when I'm not doing any of that, not school related or anything, um, I like to do crafts. So I like to crochet as, uh, <laughs> as grandma as that sounds. I love making um, things for other people. And same thing with baking. I like to spoil my department. I bring in baked goods every now and then. Um, and I use that to my advantage as well because I get to be crafty with making cupcakes look like turkeys or Santa <laughs> heads or whatever the, the theme is for that batch of desserts. So um, I really like baking a lot. And I think it's the scientist in me I like following a recipe and tweaking it. Yeah, my uh, my wife is a tremendous baker. I am not a very good baker. I, I'm a little I'm a little too much. Uh, I don't follow my protocols as well in the kitchen as I do at the lab bench. Uh, I like to follow them at the lab bench, but I, uh, I like to experiment a little a little too much off the cuff in the kitchen uh, to have the discipline to being a, a great baker. Um, so when we look forward to the school year and you get back in the classroom, we're we're recording this. Um, and in sort of early August. And as I said, right now I am in uh, deep in college recommendation week. Um, I write all my college recommendations usually over one or two weeks. And um, I can see the end of the tunnel right now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm in the midst of them. I, the funny thing is, is that I, I look, I, I look forward at, to this as a week where it's like, oh, this is going to be awful. But the fact is, is the kids I write the letters for are such wonderful kids <laughs> that yeah. like I, I've been sitting down like reminiscing about some of these kids who I had a couple of years. So um, I guess I'm getting old and sappy uh, now because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember like the kid wrote down, you know, memorable moments. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember them. And I remember how they were in that. Um, so I'm actually enjoying writing my letters of recommendation, which might mean I miss, which might mean I miss the school year and I want to get back into the room again. Um, so when you look forward to the school year, what are you looking forward to in your classroom this upcoming year? Um, I, I mentioned this earlier, I'm looking forward to incorporating some, uh, new lessons or maybe, um, some new approaches to lessons that I already teach. Um, I, have uh, activities from that teaching the genome generation where uh, it's biotech, which I don't get to do as frequently with the level of student that I teach because we don't have the equipment um, available to us. But um, I would really like to do a little bit more of that, especially in terms of like the ethical components of uh, genomics, because it's something that comes up. I get a lot of those questions like you know, how do you feel about this? Or I saw this on the news. Um, and so to have um, a, a set of lessons that are kind of pretty much ready to go um, to test out in the classroom this year, I, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and also because I think they'll really enjoy doing those techniques, even though um, sometimes people might think that it, it's too far beyond them, I think that they'll really be able to make that real world connection by um, doing these lessons. So that's from the the teaching, the genomes generation uh, PD that you did this summer? Yeah. So it's a lot of the same techniques that um, AP Bio does. It's, they do DNA extraction, isolation, um, PCR, the, uh, gel electrophoresis, restriction enzyme digests, uh, but it's framed around personalized medicine um, and like the ethics behind um, getting genetic testing and things like that. So um, basic lab techniques, but with a, a real world application, which I really, really like. Yeah. And you said that you get some, some material support um, from that program to run the, the materials. If you can figure out how to, how to get the equipment, uh, you'll be able to get some reagent support from that program. Yeah. So I think you, you had, um, expanded upon this yesterday the the program um it has like a kit a mobile lab kit that they'll ship out to you um to use the equipment and uh, they pre-package all the reagents and tubes and labels and everything it's great but um they can only ship it to schools that are near one of their two facilities so they have one in maine and they have one in connecticut so shipping it to teachers in those two states is not a problem um, and I, I've spoken to them. They said they would send me all of the um, consumables, but they can't ship the equipment because the <laughs> FedEx bill is a little expensive, which I understand. But um, um, I'm looking into writing a grant to try to get some of the same equipment that we use during the, the summer workshop because it made um, doing those techniques so much easier. For example, the the Lonza flash gel system, you can, it, it's a prepack 
super thin um, and it runs in like four minutes. So you can have results very quickly. And with um, students at a lower level that maybe are not as patient or don't understand um, why they have to wait so long <laughs> to see some bands on a gel, it, it makes things so much easier to try to make that connection with them and, and also for them not to be bored out of their minds waiting 30 to 40 minutes for a gel to run, <laughs> not to mention having to set it up, let it let it sit there for 15 minutes to solidify. So um, hopefully I'll get my hands on the equipment. Yeah, the, the there's a similar program. Amgen runs a very similar biotech program. Um, uh, with some of the same techniques and it's, it's just the same way that uh, if you happen to be in a state where they have an Amgen facility, where they have the uh, Amgen biotech experience support, uh, they will send you um, reagents and they will be able to lend you materials as well. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sort of familiar with that. I am curious about these gels. I, I've seen a few different uh, types of fast gels and these ones definitely look a little bit different. Um, I know I've played around with... Um, there's a there's a, a a lithium borate form of gels which you can uh, basically it doesn't have any tris in it so um, tris act as, acts as a resistor when you mm -hmm. when you run your gels so if you have you know your standard TAE um, or TE gels you know your buffer that you have in there once you get above 120 degrees and pretty much everyone knows this when you I mean 120 volts uh, the temperature of the gel starts to get warm. And it yeah. starts to melt. So if you decide that you're going to be like cheating it and crank it up to 150, you, anyone who's ever done that knows that the the gel box gets super hot and you don't speed it up anymore. And in fact, your results end up being kind of crappy because, you know, everything starts to melt. Uh, when you use uh, something like a lithium borate gel, you can really crank up the the voltage and go to 300 volts because the, the, it doesn't act as a resistor. The, um, and so you, you can push the media faster. You will still get curving on the gels, but you don't melt the gel um, based off right. by temperature. Um, but what I've actually found, and it's funny because I was like a big proponent of the the, the lithium borate um, gels for a couple of years, is that um, with a lot of the visualization systems that I've used, um, I actually get better visualization if I am a little bit more patient. Um, if I go back to the, yeah. the TAE gel and I go back just to a lower percentage and I slow everything down, I lower the voltage. So I've, I've actually been, <laughs> I've kind of gone back the other way uh, with it. And I basically have cheated on the other end and I've cheated on the visualization end. So I use um, sort of an instantaneous like UV system um, where uh, I can see the see the bands within the case of a class period, and I just plan something for the middle of the period. So I'll have the kids come right. in and load and run the gels, and then I'll plan something in that, you know, hopefully 30 minutes while they do it, and then have them be able to visualize it on their way out the door kind of situation. But I'm, I'm intrigued by these gels because it may be, you know, maybe a, a system that allows you to do it fast um, and accurately. So Really cool thing, besides it being fast, um, if you buy, there's like different, you know, combinations of kits that you can get. One of them has, it's like the, um, it comes with some gels, it comes with the the part you clip it into that would mimic the, the gel tank, but there's no like liquid needed. Um, and then it also has a camera, like it almost looks like a little pyramid. It fits right over and it takes right. a picture and you can hook it up to computer. So those things are really cool. It also has a, um, a built-in like light system so um, they can look at it. It's not dangerous for their eyes. The, the I think it's blue light that they use. Oh, wow. um, but uh, they can visualize the bands as they're moving. The only downside to that though is that if the kids are really interested in watching the bands go and it, it it is possible to watch the move because it migrates so quickly that in that four minutes, um, if they leave the light on too long because the gel is so thin, it actually melts. So oh. similar uh, <laughs> issue, <laughs> but um, otherwise the system's really cool. Wow. All right. So um, before we move on to our episode picks, uh, do you have any questions for me? Um, I guess just how, I know you do a lot of, um, I guess, broader community kind of outreach um, in terms of like being higher up on that totem pole in education organizations. So like, how did you get to that point? Because I, in, in the future, I would like to be that person that um, is on a committee for like NSTA or for the HHMI, something like that. It would be really cool to, to make an impact on a broader scale. Yeah. So I, I mean, 
it's it's funny. I am not um, currently sort of high up in <laughs> in any organizations, really. Um, but I, I know all those people who are. Um, I would say, you know, the biggest thing to look for is um, just keep an eye out, particularly with groups like, you know, NABT um, or NSTA. Um, they are frequently uh, opportunities to uh, run or um you know, put yourself into positions. And, um, and I actually know, um, I don't know what New Jersey is like, but in Massachusetts, um, it's also possible to get involved in the state committees. Um, mm-hmm. I know that the Massachusetts Association of Biology Teachers, um, I happen to know the president. Um, <laughs> I happen to work with the president and he oh. asks me all the time to get involved. And, and I usually am pretty involved. And I guess that's sort of why I, you know, I know all these people as I, I will get involved. I just, I currently am not, you know, holding any, any positions there or, um, with NSTA and, um, sort of similar to you, I, I, I go to a lot of professional development and I meet a lot of people and I just sort mm-hmm. of listen. Um, so I, I have no doubt, um, you know, my, my, my former boss, the, the guy who hired me, um, he used to jokingly tell me, you know, when he hired me that he hired me to be a rock star. He's like, someday, yeah. you know, you're going to be a rock star, you know, and uh, I can I can hear Johnny's uh, voice in there. And I have no doubt at all that, you know, five years from now, we, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember before Michelle ran, you know, this organization and that organization. Um, <laughs> but uh, with with certain groups like HHMI, um, you know, they do also have uh, mailing lists you can get on. Um, you can get on their email lists um, and they run professional development things in the summer as well. Um, I would say. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'm gonna have to send you. I'll have to send you a couple of uh, of links of some things because there's definitely opportunities. Um, it, for me, what I've noticed is that, uh, you know, what's the expression that uh, you know, luck uh, luck favors the prepared. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I think that when you do a lot of different things and you're sort of out there and you're active, um, you do sort of luck into some of those opportunities and organizations. Uh, to get involved. And so if you're willing, which you certainly are because of, of your attitude about, you know, being a lifelong learner and you just keep putting yourself out there, I, I'm sure the right fit is going to come along um, mm-hmm. where where the right opportunity to take that step up either on the statewide uh, level or even the national level will, will certainly present itself. So... So that's my, cool. my, my little two cents uh, worth of that. I, I have, um, yeah, you just have to, you know, be patient. <laughs> Maybe you should finish your second master's <laughs> before, before you, before you take on any more responsibilities. <laughs> well, at least I kind of understood that because my principal had asked me, you know, when can you go get a, a certified to teach AP when you're going to go to summer training? I'm like, uh, maybe we could wait until after I get this master's because I'm a little bit busy, if you haven't noticed. Yeah, and and that will, I mean, it, it certainly, uh, it does happen with, uh, I think, you know, I've really sort of noticed it the last couple of years. Um, and I, there's a double edge on this, and I'm not really sure about what it is with AP. But um, when you are teaching AP, you tend to meet a lot of other AP teachers and um I was actually, I heard uh, Paul Anderson uh, of Bozeman Biology, uh, he and another teacher, uh, David Konefke, have a podcast, um, and and Paul was actually saying on a recent podcast that, um, that you know, when you talk to AP teachers, a lot of AP teachers are tend to be the people who are willing to spend extra time to go to the extra professional development, to go to the weeks and that sort of thing, and you tend to find a lot of those people. So when I go to a workshop... Um, in the summer, and I was joking that I went to this workshop at MIT, and I really didn't know the group that I was going into, except for the guy I was sitting next to is a guy who I've presented with um, at workshops on bioinformatics, and the guy who was across was at the workshop I had been at, at the week before, and then a woman who was sitting on the end had done another series of workshops I had done a couple of years ago. Like I sat down in this room with 15 other teachers, and I like looked around the room, and you know, like all friends here, um, I didn't organize to plan to be with these people, but. It, you tend to see those same people um, both locally, uh, which I think are probably the better connections to get you through the year, um, but also right. nationally, which sort of gets you that sort of inspiration um, on when you're doing things. And uh, if you do ever get, you know, when you do that opportunity, I should say the when, not if, but when you are teaching AP, I think you'll find um, that you will make the, those connections come really easily because there are a lot of amazing uh, teachers out there, particularly AP teachers around this country. Mm-hmm. So, all right. That's why I, I think you, you win. You're like my first real question. Um. 
<laughs> that, that I've gotten. So, uh, so on to my episode picks. So, uh, Michelle, what is your pick for the episode? So, uh, of course, I love HHMI's Biointeractive, and I am on their mailing list, so I get updates about um, new new materials that they have all the time. And something just showed up about um, a new interactive click and learn activity that they put out called CSI Wildlife. And um, if you read the little description about the activity, it helps students um, to learn about techniques like DNA profiling um, and PCR, electrophoresis, all those things, but in the context of um, wildlife forensics, which I think is a super cool topic. I actually did a little mini project for grad school on um, the use of DNA in in wildlife forensics. So um, I was already interested. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, this is, this would be great because then I could take what I've learned um, at reading, you know, scientific papers and then bring it down to my students level and teach them about that in this context. Yeah, that looks, that looks great. I, I'm not going to click and learn right now because we're talking, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally tempted to click and learn right now. Um, I'm curious if that, uh, if that ties into either uh, Serengeti Rules, um, the Sean Carroll book, which I have not had a chance to read, but is on my to-do list, or if uh, there's all this Gorongosa stuff that they've put up uh, yeah. in the last year. So I, my guess is that it's probably connects to one, if not both of those things. So um, very, very cool, neat picture about ivory too, um, right there in the interest. It certainly piqued my interest. So definitely have to put that on my, uh, to-do list, um, to check that out. All right. So for my picks, I don't know if, do you ever, uh, play uh, Kahoot or quizzes with your classes, Michelle? Do you ever? Do so you... I haven't used Kahoot in class, although I do know about it because, um, they, brought it to our attention in one of our we have like a, a pretty good um teacher professional development uh, support for the the newer teachers so i was at i think the second or third year workshop and like they had us play a kahoot mm -hmm. so i i know about it but um i have other systems for doing something similar so i just haven't taken advantage yeah. of it because i have other ways of of doing the same thing but yeah. um it is definitely really really fun yeah so uh, the one downside of these you know of anything like this like a kahoot so kahoot is it, the well, the one downside is sort of the setup time to get it to be exactly what you want but um this past year i i kind of dove in on kahoot and and use it. And so what Kahoot is, uh, for those of people who don't, don't know, is it's a, um, a competitive um, sort of multiple choice game that you can play with your classes. And so the students can open up um, either a, a device, um, either a smartphone or uh, a tablet, um, or, you know, I've had my students do it with Chromebooks. Um, and what you'll do is you'll load up a quiz that you will write, or you can actually pull from their database, and you will post that up. And a question will flash up with the options, and then the kids will click on the answers. And the faster they answer the question, the more points they get. And so, and then it posts the, the a running tally of scores as you go. So my kids, my honors bio and my AP kids, super, super competitive. But even my alternative program kids got into it. Um, it was really, uh, it was really fun. And um, when my kids do, I have my kids in honors do a lesson at the end of the year. And part of their lesson is they have to design um, an interactive review in one period like almost every single group wrote a kahoot it was really kind of funny that they they loved it so much that they just like so we played kahoot like all spring long as they were doing their projects um and, and it was really really fun uh, and the kids were funny about them uh, and several of my uh my kids who i'm writing letters of recommendation uh several of them put in that they really enjoyed uh playing those games uh as review uh that was it was both fun and it sort of highlighted things that they needed to go back and study so um so I definitely am a big fan of Kahoot. And then this summer I came across uh, what's known as, I think the pronunciation is quizzes. And as far as I can tell, and I've just started playing with it in the last week, quizzes is very, very similar to Kahoot, but you actually can uh, play them offline or play them not in class, but assign yeah. like quizzes as homework. Um, cool. and, uh, you can have leaderboards and some other things. Uh, it also ties into Google classroom, which I have just played around with a little bit last year. So, and the, right now I'm in the process of writing a handful of, uh, quizzes, um, 
things to work and I'm gonna try it out with my alternative program kids and I'm actually gonna use it as a couple of homework assignments um, in my first couple of units to sort of see how it goes uh, but it seems like it has a lot of the features of Kahoot with a sort of a a little bit more flexibility about the where and when um, and right. how they go to do it. So um, I too have a lot of other ways that I do things. So I use Plickers uh, on a regular basis, um, which I'll have to bring mm -hmm. up some other times. And I do online quizzing for my uh, honor students um, that they can do and then retake the quizzes for as a studying method. Um, but this quizzes sort of looked like um, like advanced Kahoot or Kahoot with a few different bells and whistles. So uh, I thought I originally was going to put Kahoot in there and then I figured I would put them both up as, as things to play with. So yeah, we have to check that, yes. that second one out because um, our district, as of this year, everybody's getting a MacBook and we're going to be one to one and we're um, all Google apps for education. So everybody has their own Google email address. So um, I set up my Google classroom in the spring last year so that I'd be prepared um, for this year. And I actually I only did one major assignment on there, but I really liked that um, it told you like whose project was late and how late was it and <laughs> all that good stuff. So um, if I can tie this into Google Classroom, that would be really cool. Yeah, and as I said, I haven't played with it much, but it looks like it has like many of those things that I liked about Kahoot, but with the couple of extra tie-ins. So I'm, I'm kind of mm -hmm. excited about that. So um, uh, thank you so much, Michelle. <laughs> I, forgot, I literally have this recorded on in two different ways because I was like so paranoid about losing another recording. Uh, so I've got, I'm like watching like audio levels going left and right in here, but uh, thank you for being such a good sport uh, and, and meeting with me again to, to talk through this. I, I, it's really funny because we had such a wonderful conversation. I think I think we got all the the key stuff in day two as well. So uh, yeah, key stuff and new stuff. So yeah, both of the conversations were very enjoyable. Yeah, <laughs> I said, like it's it's a win win. I whenever I get to sit down and 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 talk to you, so it's not uh, you know, I, I, part of me felt like I was wasting time, but part of me was like, yeah, totally selfish. Get to hang out with Michelle for another hour. So I'm <laughs> um, uh, really happy with that. So I gotta figure out a way of of getting you to get out to like uh, Denver for NABT or, you know. Um, please do that. I would love to go because <laughs> I had such a fantastic time at, at the conference last year. I would love to go to NABT again. Yeah, I, I have think it was more beneficial than NSTA because it was bio. Yeah, it was very focused. It was my first NABT as well. I have not, I we missed the early bird. The early bird came and went and I have not pulled the trigger. I think I need to get into the school year and look at my calendar and, and really think about the logistics of it. But if I can swing it, I'm going to go to Denver this year. So um, keep me informed because if you go, then I will definitely go. <laughs> That's great. I'll find a way to convince my principal to give me that time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I will definitely uh, be in touch. So let me say my credits. Um, uh, you can subscribe to this uh, podcast on uh, iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, and on Stitcher. Uh, music is provided by Jake Jenkins and X Magicians. And as always, thank you for joining me. And feel free to go to lifeoftheschool.org uh, to listen to this episode or any past episodes and also to provide feedback. Uh, you can also provide feedback on Twitter at uh, Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. Um, and, and I've been getting a little bit of feedback on Twitter, so which has been great. And so um, thank you for those of you guys who've engaged with me there. And hopefully I will talk to all of you soon. <laughs>